It's so good to be back um, after being gone so long this summer. Um, it's good to see everybody's faces. Um, this is a very um, familiar scripture passage and um, interesting um, slant that Al's going to take on it this morning, Pastor Alan. So I'll read it to you. It is John 5, 1 to 17, if you wanted to look that up in your own Bibles. Um, John 5, 1 to 17. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there's a pool called in, called in Hebrew, Beth Zetha, which has five porticos. In these lay many ill, blind, lame, and paralyzed people. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred up, and while I'm making my way, some, my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Now that day was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your mat. But he answered them, The man who made me well said to me, Take up your mat and walk. They asked him, Who is this man who said this to you? Take, who said to you, Take it up and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had disappeared in the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Do not sin any more, so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went up and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore, the Jews started persecuting Jesus because he was doing such things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is still working, and I also am working. So nice to see you again on this, uh, what is it, September 18th, we're getting into the month of September. People are able to slowly kind of come back after the summer, and now we're still kind of coming out of COVID, how everybody feels comfortable or not. Those are all parts of our reality. So thank you for being here. A few weeks back, I talked about... Um, you know, the cup of life, if you think of it that way, it's a metaphor, the cup of life. And the cup of life has times when we ha drink the cup of happiness, and then there are other times when we drink the cup of sorrow. And that, that, that's the mix, isn't it? That's the mix. It's some of both. Cup of sorrow, cup of happiness sometimes all at the same time. Read this week, uh, one of the UN came out with a report on food security, and it noted that there are 350 million people suffering right now with severe hunger um, and famine. A lot of countries in North Africa, Central Africa. 350 million people with real food security issues, which is another way of saying really hungry, don't have access to food. 
So you can imagine, right, if we were in that situation, there would be a lot of sorrow. Sorrow because you have kids and you, you can't feed your kids properly. There's no food available. Water issues also. So that's just one example, but that's a good chunk of humankind. You know, seven and a half billion people on the planet and 350 million are experiencing real food struggles. You know, so what can we do here in the West? And of course, the, the situation in Ukraine and Russia accentuates that whole problem. Food can't get there as easily. So we need to be mindful, certainly praying, doing what we can. I mean, it's hard as an individual. What can we do? But we need to be aware of it, I think. We need to be mindful and attentive, not to be unaware that there's a lot of hurt going on in our world. It may not strike us here yet in the same way. But, you know, our crazy economics here, there are people hurting with food security issues right here, right in our area. Rob goes to the food bank every twice a week. That's a lot, you know. That's a big commitment for him to go to the food bank for about four hours twice a week. And, and, and it's, he sees people coming in and out, and there are food issues. They don't have enough. Sorry? Tripled since 2019. Well, there you go. Tripled the issues. So, cup of sorrow, you know, we have that in our own way too, whatever, whatever that sorrow is. And so I mention that because this series is on paradox. Last week we talked about the paradox of tears and happiness, that we can have those at the same time, or juxtapo juxtaposed. Tears, happiness, happiness, tears. We looked at the story of the miracle at Cana, when the water is turned into wine. It's a happy, it's a happy wedding, right? People are all feeling happy. It's a week-long festival. That's how they celebrated Israel the first century. At the same time, they run out of wine, and you, and you can imagine how devastating that would be for the family, perhaps for Mary herself. She seems to be involved in the catering. And, it, there, and then there are tears. So happiness and tears. And today we're looking at a story from John 5, which is suffering, experience of suffering, and the experience of healing. How do those two go together? Beth is here this morning. Hello, Beth. <laughs> Beth has had a fair amount of suffering the last few weeks with her sciatica, but it's slowly getting better thanks to some healers, osteopath, acupuncture, folks that Dave and Mika have put us on to, and they've been very helpful to her. So, you know, you go from healing, I mean, suffering to, you know, some healing. And, and we have that as well. And that's what this story is about. So it's, it's, a, it's a good one for us to reflect on. So the setting in John 5, uh, it is well known, but you may not have read it for a while. Uh, there's a pool. There was a pool. We'll show a picture of it shortly. Called the Pool of Siloam. And the Pool of Siloam is outside of the city walls in the day, all right? And it was an ancient water source uh, that Hezekiah talks about. So it was 
Uh, Hezekiah was warned that if the city went under a siege, they could cut off their water supply, which was this pool outside the city walls. So he goes about, uh, you can read about that in the Old Testament historical books, he builds a tunnel so that the water can go from the source under the city walls and up into the city. But around that water source, there was a pool called the Pool of Siloam. And it was a large pool. Maybe we'll go to that. This is, there has been a lot of archaeological work around that pool. So that actually, that is the pool, part of the pool. There are five big porticos or verandas that went around this pool. It had been there for hundreds of years. Uh, different folks had built it and added on to it. But that's one part of it. Uh, the, the water would have gone around and so on. You just get a sense of the scope. It was a large pool. And people gather around the pool because it is over a water source, okay? It's over a spring. And from time to time, the spring would bubble up. And there grew a mythology about it that if you jumped into the pool when it first bubbled up, you would be healed. Now, the pool did have healing characteristics. It's like a salt bath you might have. It does provide care and comfort to your body. Well, built on that, there was this whole mystique. Whether that was true or not, that's what the people believed. There was a source, it did bubble up, and then they had created this narrative around it. So around that pool then, there were a lot of needy people. There were a lot of marginalized people. Interesting that it was outside the city walls. And so the people who were sick, the people who were infirm, Folk who were disabled. Folk who were disabled. There we go. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it'll go away. Right. Yeah. Got it. It'll, it'll settle down. People who were dis disabled. People who had long-term illnesses. In that day, you know, if you were sick, you were looked upon as, you know, well, are you going to be contagious? Or God must be angry with you for something that you have done. There was this way of thinking about illness. A different culture than ours, right? 2,000 years ago, Middle East, it's a different world. So anyway, all these needy folk are around the pool. And interesting that Jesus makes a point when he goes to Jerusalem to go to the Pool of Siloam and to walk around this area where there are all these people with stories and issues that they are dealing with that a lot of people don't even want to look at. That's why they're out there. They don't even want to think about them. If you were a leper in that society, then you were just cast off. You have to go somewhere else. So Jesus goes, though, to, to see these people. I would imagine he's talking with these people. We're not told all the details, but he goes there with his disciples, not, I'm sure, just to peer at them, but he is going, he is mixing, he is speaking. And his attention is drawn to this one individual who is a man who has suffered, who is a paralytic, for 38 years. That's a long time, 38 years. Forty years was considered a generation. So this is a whole generation, essentially, this man 
has been ill, and he has been marginalized, and that's where he basically hangs out as the Pool of Siloam. And so there the story gets more specific, and we're told that Jesus asks him a question, do you want to be made well? And now when I first read that, maybe when you read that, that seems maybe like a funny question to ask. We'd think, well, sure the guy wants to be made well. Why wouldn't he? Do you want to be made well? But Jesus does not assume it. Jesus does not presume anything. This individual has created his own source of individuals who, you know, help him out. Jesus asks, do you want to be made well? I used to have a guy that came to the church for the longest time. I haven't seen him now for a couple of years. His name was Bobby. And Bobby would come to the door, oh, fairly regularly, probably every month. I mean, it seemed like every other day, really, but he, was, he came regularly. And then he ended up in the, in the hospital. And, and he, he was saying to me later, well, I was really worried because I was in the hospital and I couldn't get to, to my clients. So he considered me and the church a client. We were a client, you see. We were no longer just people helping him. We were part of his crew. We were one of his groups, his clients. I'm saying, okay, I didn't know we were looked at that way, right? So he's... So when he came, he expected to get something. He would be very disappointed if he got nothing because we were one of his clients. But anyway, I don't know what happened to Bobby. He hasn't been around for a couple of years, so I don't know. But anyway, he had his group. Do you see what I mean? That's my point. People supported him, uh, Bobby, and people probably supported this individual who was around the pool. He had existed for 38 years, so he must have had some support. Do you want to be made well of a long-standing issue? A long-standing interior issue that maybe you have, maybe I have, interior, the opposite of wellness, unwellness, that we carry for a long time. Could be bitterness, could be anger, could be... Jealousy, uh, you know, it just goes on and on. What, what could it be? Some issue that, you know, hangs in there a long time. Somebody's noted somewhere is that the, day, the devil knows your, your, your issues of weakness and he'll just keep going after them. Year after year after year he goes after them because we tend to struggle with them. Do you want to be made well? And so the story starts there, and I think it's a good question for us to consider. By the way, if you hear a question of Jesus, pause, stop, ask it for yourself. Jesus is asking you too. Do you want to be made well? Really, do you want to be made well? Whatever that is. We can be just living for ourselves, for our own comfort, our own convenience. So, do you want to be made well? Do you really want to talk about and think about the 350 million people who are struggling with hunger in Africa right now? Do you really want to be thinking about that? Do you really want to be made well? So that's where Jesus starts. So having said that, we now come to the miracle. So the man, it's interesting, he's not named, represents every man or every woman. 
And, and he, he says to Jesus, he doesn't answer the question. He, he responds instead, well, you know, when the water bubbles up, I can't get there first because, my, because of my leg and so on. I can never get in first. That's his answer. He doesn't say, yes, I want to be made well. He doesn't say, no, I don't want to be made well. Instead, he says, I can't get in there. So you might say that he plays the role of the victim. He blames others. I can't get in. It's true he can't get in. No one's there to help him. But he recognizes that, and he says, and he blames others. So we can live our life. That's this man, 38 years. He does not come across to us as a very nice guy. We'll learn more about him as the story goes on. Interesting that Jesus picks him out and talks to him in a special way. Now, maybe he talked to others and healed them too. This is the story we're told. But he certainly isn't chosen because he's a super person. Not at all. Somebody knocks on the door at the church. I'm a victim. Blame others. We can go there pretty quick. That's where this individual is. That's the man. And so then we have the man, then we have Jesus comes alongside him. Says to him, and note, he doesn't, doesn't finally wait for an answer. He, got, he must assume there's enough in there that says yes. So he says, okay, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Three verbs. Rise up, pick up your mat, which is a poor person's mat. He's definitely poor. And walk. And so at that point, the man has to, well, what's he going to do? Is he going to try or not? He has to engage somehow, or, or this is his opportunity. Right? This is his Kairos moment. The Lord says to him, stand up, pick up your walk, mat and walk. He has to do that. Just as Jesus can confront us at some point and say something, and we have to do it. We finally have to do it. You got to say yes, you got to no. Somebody said you got to be a chooser, not a non-chooser. Chooser, not an, an unchooser. Will we choose or not? Will we say yes to Jesus or not? So the man has his moment. Good for him at this point. He actually does stand up, picks up his mat, and he gets the heck out of there. All right, that's, that's what he does. He doesn't say thanks. He just leaves. He doesn't even know Jesus' name. He has no idea who this guy is. He just leaves. <laughs> I am out of here. Woo! He makes it. He's gone after 38 years. So he leaves. Later we're told that religious leaders see him carrying his mat and they don't like that because it's the Sabbath. And they give him a hard time, so you're breaking the law. And they say, and then what does he do? He, he blames Jesus. Well, I, the guy who healed me told me to do it. That's his response. And Jesus later, he actually goes and seeks him out. This is all part of the, the fallout that we're talking about here. Jesus goes and finds him and, and tells him, hey, you, you, need to, <laughs> you need to be aware here. Something has happened in your life. Be mindful. Give thanks. 
integrated into your life. Jesus takes time to find him, says this to him. You read the story. And what does the guy do? Well, then he goes and back to the religious police and says, I know, the guy who told me his name's Jesus. He goes back and reports him after all this. He's just taking care of himself. That's it. I don't want to be on some list, all right? Lots of people in the third world, you know what they don't want to be? Is they don't want to be on a list. Whatever it is, don't get my name on a list. If I'm in Guatemala, I don't want my name on a list. I want to go underneath the line. See what I mean? I don't want to be on somebody's police list or whatever list. So this guy says, I don't want to be on your list. It was Jesus. He's the guy. Go after him. And so then I think there's the issue, well, okay, what about us? Do you know, do we, how do we integrate our events in our lives, our healing, our mountaintop experiences, our times when we really connect with God? How do, how do, we, how do we integrate that? Or do we just forget it? I had an individual friend years ago who once told me about a real mountaintop experience. God flooded his office, his room, flooded it, bathed it in light. He was a very rational person. This is what he said happened. It was incredible. Mountaintop experience. And a couple of years later, it was just like, I don't even believe anymore. He's gone. I don't even believe. So I went to him and I said, well, what about your mountaintop experience? <laughs> what about the office that flooded with light? Uh, now we put it down to a bad meal or whatever it was. Something. But how do we integrate, right? You and I, how, how do you integrate when God works in your life? That's the stories about that. Not to forget it. To be mindful. Why? Because life is this mixture of happiness and tears. It's a mixture of suffering and happiness. You need those moments. You need to hang on to those moments. Really. Not forget it. Truly. So Jesus takes the time to find this guy, to search him out, to say that to him. I think that's pretty cool. The universe, universe maker, right? Creation comes through his hands, we're told, John 1. And now he goes, finds this man, reminds him of what good has done. Are we, th are we thankful? Are we mindful? Are we grateful? Or are we just going to go back to our old scene? easy to go back to the old scene. Paul says to take off your old clothes and put on your new clothes. Half the time we don't want to take off our old clothes because they feel comfortable. I like my old jeans. The older the better. Right? They're really worn in. Paul says you got to take them off and put on the new. Well, there's something in that that's a bit uncomfortable. But we're called to do it. So anyway, that's where we're at to integrate. I have down here Toffler. He wrote about the modular man in his day, the modular person, where you just go to office and you relate to these people, 
only these people with this mindset. Then you go here, you go to the gym, it's only the gym, nobody. You don't integrate anything, you go home, they do that. There are all these modular pieces of pie, and we don't make connections. And he was saying that the modern person, that's where we are falling into. That's how we relate to people, often. So then there's a dialogue, and the story concludes. And the story here is now the religious police go after Jesus. And they say, hey, you're working on the Sabbath. You healed this guy on the Sabbath. Instead of giving thanks and being grateful, they're condemning him, critiquing him, because he did something good and happened to be on the Sabbath. And it's interesting, Jesus' response his response is, my father works all the time, and as he is working all the time, even on the Sabbath, so do I. Meaning by that, it's okay to do good on the Sabbath. The Old Testament recognizes that. If your animal falls into a pit and it happens to be on the Sabbath, you don't leave the animal there, you get it out of the pit. So it's okay to heal. God keeps working all the time, Jesus says. God is working right now. So I like this quote that says, The work of God is life to give, sustain, and call forth life every day and every moment. That's God's work for us. Giving life. Giving life. You know the story. The whole universe hangs together, right? It, it doesn't even make sense. Why does, it, why does it not just fall apart? What's keeping it holding together? It could just, it, could just, it grew and now it could go back. <laughs> what keeps it? Jesus says, God keeps things going. He keeps giving life. Gives you life, he gives me life. Gives your animals, your pets, life. your loved one's life, your friend's life. This is the work of God. And so Jesus says, if he gives it, then I do it. That's the end of the story. If you don't like it, too bad. You're the religious police. I am now on a list. And he says, okay. That list ends up getting him crucified. Yeah, that's, this is, this is, the hole is getting deeper for Jesus already. But he says, it's okay. I am going to do good on the Sabbath. He ends up paying the price for that. So having said all that, then what, what does this miracle say to us in terms of the paradox of suffering and healing? So, we can, a few points. We've already addressed some of these. We can be paralyzed interiorly. That is for sure. We get spiritually stuck. We get stuck in a place, and we can be stuck for a long time. You may be stuck right now somewhere. Spiritually stuck. Nobody else knows it, but you know it. Spiritually stuck. Interiorly stuck. But this story is good news. Bob Dylan has a good quip, you know, I love it. And he says, man, the whole world is about bad news. The world never talks about good news. It's a bad news society. That's what sells. Bad news sells. <laughs> Not good news. 
So we can be stuck interiorly. So can we learn and hear from this story something of encouragement to us, number one? Two, we need to listen to God's work, to be attentive. Because God is about breaking forth life into your life in an ongoing way. God is universe maker. He is your creator. He's interested in your life, my life. He wants to give you more and more life. I've known people and they don't want to become Christians because they have friends, they're not Christians, and they feel like if I become a Christian, I'm going to be different from them, and they're not going to like me as much. So they don't want to take the risk. There's something about Jesus that they're drawn to, but they don't want to take that risk because they're afraid their friend group, at work maybe, will look at me differently and won't like me. For that reason, I won't become a Christian. I'll stay in the shadows instead of moving out to the sun because I want to be liked. And I'm not going to take the risk that people won't like me. The invitation is always to listen, right? To be attentive, to wake up. Wake up. That's When Jesus says repent, he's meaning wake up. That's all. Wake up to life. Wake up to what God has done for us in Christ, in you. Wake up. Listen. Hear, right? That's second. It's for, I'm, this is for all of us, right? I say it to myself. Jesus surprises this man by showing up. Nobody shows an interest in this guy. Nobody, right? And all of a sudden, this guy comes along and starts talking to him. And, he, and maybe he's even going to do something for me. Like, this is a surprise. This is a serendipitous moment. This is a new thing. God breaking into your life. And that's, I think, how Jesus works. If you show up, he shows up. So will we be open? Will we be receptive at all to what God wants to do in our lives? Jesus shows up. I mean, it's not a game, right? It's not magic. It's not like, and we're not just talking, right? Jesus, Father, Son, Spirit, the divine family exists. The whole world comes through his hand. This is real. So if we believe this is real, then Jesus will show up in your life. He will. Through the Holy Spirit. He will show up. Otherwise, the whole thing is a big game. And if it's a big game, then play another game. Don't even walk this way. Why would you walk it if it's not true? But the Spirit is true. God the Father is true. Christ is his Son. This is true. So he shows up. So will we have the faith to listen and look to that? Wow, it comes down to faith. It comes down to saying yes. Will you have the courage to say yes? The easy thing is to say no. So this man is very surprised. And then life's little deaths, what are they? His, his was more than a little death. His was a big thing, right? 38 years. But for us, it doesn't have to be that. We experience little deaths all the time. That's part of the suffering, part of the chore, part of the cup of suffering that we're invited to drink, the little deaths. If you grow older, we all know that we experience some suffering can't quite do what you used to do. 
even the best athletes. Steve Nash, when he was coming to the end of his career, great basketball Canadian player, NBA, he was unbelievable talent, brilliant talent. And then at the very end, he was only like about 41 or so, he's playing for L.A., the Lakers, and he'd, he'd end up and he could play one game. He could play one game and he'd score like 18 points at the end of his career. And then his body would be a complete wreck. He'd be out of it for a whole week. He could do it for that one 25 minutes, and then he paid for it the whole price. When he was in his peak, he could do it every night, on and on and on and on, way more than 18 points. The point was, you know, he finally realized, you know what, I can't do this anymore. He's still an athlete. You looked at him, he'd be great, right? He couldn't do what he used to do. The little deaths. And then that brings us to the final bit. What is this paradox of suffering and healing? The point is, is that there is opportunity in the suffering. if we have the eyes to see it. Henry Nouwen used to say, okay, you're in a car accident. The issue is how do you respond to this car accident? Nouwen was in a variety of accidents, ended up dying from an accident. So, so you're in a car accident. Well, the issue is how are you going to respond to that? Do you become a victim and blame everybody because you're in this car accident? Or will you say, God is going to give me a new vocation coming out of this? Wow. Can we say that? But Joni Erickson, good example of doing that. So can I see the opportunity amidst the suffering? Can I say yes? Catherine Doherty, who started a whole monastic movement, Christian, ended up in the hospital, and she called, she was Greek Orthodox, essentially. Her, her bed in the hospital room became a postema, which means a, a, uh, a prayer room. It's a, that may not be the, quite the right term, but it, it, became, it became a prayer room for her. She's looking up on her bed. <laughs> She's looking up. Became an opportunity to pray. That was how she saw that eventually. She could do that. That's an opportunity. Of course, it takes, takes spiritual maturity to do that, doesn't it? Not play the victim. So in your life, as we close, where is the healing? Where is the suffering? It doesn't matter what age. You can be here in 18 this morning, and there can be plenty of suffering in your life. That time of adolescence, man, those are some of the highest suffering years you're going to ever get. Just get through those years. It'll be better later. But, you know, really, suffering is part of it. But there's also healing, and Christ is with us in the midst of all of that, all of that, with you, with me, in our pain, in our hurt, Issues in your family, issues at work, the pain. Beekner used to talk about, man, I've seen, he said, I've seen so much pain, it would make a stone bleed. It would make a stone bleed. 
So that can be us. But God is with us. He travels with us. Amidst that crazy paradox, he's there in your life. Look to him. My life. Hear his voice. Say yes. In Jesus' name, amen.